0: Why do you support refugees? I support refugees because my family were refugees.
1: I support refugees because we are all God's children and we all deserve a safe
0: place to grow in God's love.
1: I support refugees because God made us all in God's
0: image. I support refugees because I am a legal guardian of a minor asylum named Carol from Burundi. I support refugees because my lord was a refugee. Because I welcome and I love my neighbor.
2: Hi, and welcome to Hometown, the podcast from Episcopal Migration Ministries, the refugee resettlement and welcome ministry of the Episcopal Church. I'm Kendall Martin. And I'm Allison
0: Duvall. We're joined today by Bethany Showalter, the Special Programs Manager from the Church World Service Immigration and Refugee Program. She has worked in refugee resettlement and Church World Service affiliate offices for the past 10 years. In her current role, she helps coordinate efforts with a group of humanitarian shelters along the southwest border to support asylum seekers as they travel to destination cities which includes managing a free and confidential resource hotline
2: for asylum seekers. Before we turn to our interview with Bethany, we'll discuss the scripture readings for the third Sunday of Easter. So Allison, I'd be interested to hear what your response was to this week's readings.
0: Yeah, well, before I give my response, I just want to give the listeners a little bit of context for where I am um, as I was reading the scripture. So listeners, you've heard us talk about EMM's new program called Partners and Welcome, which is a free online learning community and ministry network that we launched at the end of February. And there's a lot going on in Partners and Welcome. If you haven't joined, like I said, it's free to join. We hope you do. But one of the things that's going on is that we have a book club that Kendall, um, Kendall and our other colleague, Melissa, host and the first book that they selected for the book club was The Girl Who Smiled Beads by Clementine Wamaria, and Clementine and her sister fled the Rwandan genocide when they were children. Her sister was a teenager, and Clementine was, I don't know, five or six. She was very small, and I've, you know, I, I read the book because the book club met yesterday, and That's where kind of my heart and my processing still lies. And so as I was reading the Acts of the Apostles, reading specifically about Paul, who was formerly Saul and persecuted the followers of Jesus. And then we read about his conversion experience on the Damascus Road. What I was left contemplating was some themes that Clementine brings up in the book, but things I think that will make sense to anybody listening right now in the work of refugee resettlement, because we can't access the deep, raw horror and pain that those who have become refugees have lived through. I know for myself, I often have to kind of emotionally distance myself from that. We talk about the global displacement crisis, which is the largest it's been in history, but that's almost so big as to be impossible to grapple with. Um, we use the word refugee, but the depth of meaning, what is contained within that word and that experience. Like we just begin to brush the surface when we say that word. And so I was thinking, Kendall, about your work as our communications manager and how so much of the work that you do and that your colleagues in messaging and communications do is try to help all of us get beneath the surface. To start to access the real human story behind the words that otherwise would be abstractions. And that that act, that work of helping us get beneath the surface is in a way kind of like a conversion experience. You and your work are trying to change our heart, which is the definition of conversion. So what did you think about it? Well, I feel like that was such a theme in the book,
2: right? Like there's no way to honestly give language to something as absolutely horrific as a genocide. Yeah, There's no way to give words to the experiences that so many people have when they're fleeing and they're living their lives in, in refugee camps for years. And there's just to be able to really encapsulate that experience in language is very difficult. Yeah. One could say impossible, right? Right. Hey, yeah. Like how do you actually give words to something that that's just, that's so, just seems so impossible. I was really struck by that. And I think I was really struck by how quickly people who had loved one another and been neighbors or friends or family could lose their sense of humanity and their sense of respect for other human beings. And and in the midst of all of that happening, there were still these key people in Clementine's life who just held so firmly to their faith, would never give up on the idea that God was there, that God would provide, that that anything good that was happening was coming from God. And I thought that was just It was a really amazing faith to read. (laughs) I I agree.
0: I think part of what I, I found myself, I think, sympathizing with Clementine at times when she would critique that kind of faith. And I think I found myself sympathizing because I find it so difficult to imagine maintaining a strong faith in the midst of such horror. Yeah. And to kind of circle back to the Acts reading, if you were talking about how easily in the Rwandan story specifically it was for people to start dehumanizing their neighbors and believing them to be less, less than, less than human. And I was thinking in the story of Saul, who was converted on the road to Damascus and became who we know as Paul, the great evangelist of our tradition. He he was doing the same. He was persecuting his neighbors who were his co-religionists, right? Because the earliest followers of Jesus were, were themselves Jewish, as was Paul. I wonder, I, I don't know that we have any... Um, scripture text that would speak to how Paul came to justify his own persecution you know we have what came after we have his conversion experience and his it's almost his work to absolve himself to beg forgiveness for his past actions but thinking about Paul (laughs) in connection with Clementine I'm just so how does one become so manipulated as to dehumanize their neighbor and then act to persecute them but also terrified by the notion that it's so easy because this continues to happen throughout human history
2: absolutely there's so many examples and it's happening right now everywhere yeah So I feel like this is a good moment to plug for our listeners. The book club is something that we're going to continue to do through Partners in Welcome. So if you haven't joined yet, or you have joined, but you haven't quite uh, committed to signing up for the book club yet, there will be many opportunities. And I would highly encourage you because we'll be reading some really interesting stories.
0: Bethany, we're so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us on Hometown. Yes, thank you so much for including me on this. We're glad to have you here. And at Episcopal Migration Ministries, we've engaged with with y'all over a church world service for quite literally decades. The Episcopal Church was one of the founding denominations or communions of Church World Service back in the 40s, and we've worked for a long time with Church World Service in partnership on refugee resettlement. Now, the reason we have you here today is not to talk about the resettlement work of Church World Service, but about other things, really important stuff going on in Church World Service's Immigration and Refugee Program. So I wonder, could you tell us a little bit about how the Immigration and Refugee Program has expanded and changed over the years, and kind of what types of programs and services you offer to various populations through IRP?
1: Sure. So uh, we are, you know, like EMM, we are one of the nine national resettlement agencies and we continue to work in 17 different states. Uh, We have 25 local resettlement offices and along with the reception and placement services, uh, we also offer a variety of other services at many of these sites. English classes, employment assistance, extended case management, Um, and then some of those offices have other additional programs like women's programs, youth programs, mental health services, things like that. Uh, We continue to work with refugees but also with people who have special immigrant visas who have served as interpreters for the U.S. Army. Mm -hmm. and survivors of human trafficking and uh, people who have been granted asylum. And so most recently, our services are expanding to include asylum seekers. So while people who have been granted asylum have many services available to them, asylum seekers do not. And so we're really trying to address that with our local offices and see how we can provide additional referrals and assistance for, for those folks.
0: That's so important. That's exciting to hear.
2: Well, and Bethany, a lot of people are um, much more familiar with the term asylum seeker just because of what's happening in the news and and people are having to learn about these various forms of migration. And I'm wondering if you could help our listeners understand what exactly is happening along the border.
1: Sure. I think it's maybe good to give a bit of context for why people are leaving uh, home countries to begin with. Um, So, you've likely heard in the news, there's been an increase of migrants traveling from Central America, particularly Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. And some of the root causes that are are forcing people to flee uh, include things like violence, whether it's gang violence or gender-based violence, kidnapping. There's a lot of corruption and poverty in rural areas, often due to climate change. So there's a lot of things that are happening in these home countries that people are fleeing. And, and there are a number of groups that are trying to address those issues, but there's also a need to address the issue of safety in, in the present time. And so what people are doing is fleeing these very dangerous situations to seek asylum at the border. According to national and international law, anyone that is physically present in the US can seek asylum. So it's oftentimes many of the same reasons why people are coming as refugees. They're fleeing for many of the same reasons, but the way in which they're seeking safety is in a different avenue, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And I wonder, now could you speak a little bit about when when families do present themselves at the U.S. southern border and make a claim as to a cause of persecution, a well-founded fear, and they ask for asylum, what happens then?
1: What should be happening at the border is that individuals would be screened and they would be admitted and offered protection. They would be given fair and humane treatment that their cases could be pursued you know, through um, immigration courts, that they could seek legal protection and safety. Um, what is happening, oftentimes, is that there's been these numerous attempts to block people from seeking safety. As you've, I'm sure, have seen, policies are changing pretty rapidly, and some of these policies things like detaining people indefinitely, forcing people to stay in Mexico, these policies simply just do not protect people in the ways that they should. And so I think one of the things that we continue to hear just these reports of people that are still in Mexico have not had the chance to be processed. They're not in safe situations as they wait. Um, There's reasons why people travel in larger numbers. So when people talk about caravans, well, there's kind of that safety in numbers, um, which is why many people choose to travel in those ways. So I think what should be happening isn't always happening at the border, but kind of the thing to, I think, for us to remember is that people do have the right to seek safety and asylum at the border of the U.S.
0: That it is a legal way to request entry into, into the United States is to request asylum because you have a well-founded fear of persecution. So it's so important, I think, for, for listeners to understand that that is a, that is a legal process.
1: Yes. Um, they are detained, and, and while they're detained, they must be asked if they are afraid of returning to their home country. Um, And if they express fear about going back, they go through an interview process to assess that level of danger. And if they pass what's called the credible fear interview, they are released and given legal right to be in the US while they pursue their asylum claim. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to be granted asylum,
2: but they have the right to request it. Thanks for that clarification, that's helpful. Absolutely. And in response to what's been happening, for our listeners, a reminder that you're the special programs manager at Church World Service and you're working on the Asylum Seeker Hotline. Can you tell our listeners about how that hotline came about and what needs you're seeing there? Sure. I think as we were talking with
1: other groups, we kept hearing a need for support for asylum seekers after they leave shelters and and move on to destination cities. So maybe just moving back just a bit, they are released from detention, and many of them are released to these humanitarian shelters along the border that provide assistance for one to two days, typically, providing some of those basic needs, food, clothing, shelter, and assistance with getting a bus ticket to go meet relatives throughout the U.S. And so once they are released from these shelters and are moving on to their destination cities, there's a need for folks to be able to connect with resources in those local communities. And so that's kind of where this idea came from for the hotline was a place for asylum seekers to be able to call and get connected to local resources. There's a number of online resources that are really helpful. There's statewide hotlines that are available in certain states, but we didn't find something that was nationwide. And that's the gap that we were hoping to to try to fill Um, by creating this this hotline.
0: It's a really wonderful program that you all have started and so necessary right now. So Bethany, could you tell us a little bit about, I'm imagining the different types of folks and or organizations that might call the hotline, could you give our listeners an idea of if an asylum seeker calls the hotline, what kind of experience or assistance are you all able to provide them? And then the same question for if an organization or even a congregation were to call the hotline, how do you all help them connect to folks who might need
2: assistance?
1: The call center is staffed by people who are bilingual in both Spanish and English. And then we also have access to a language line if we receive calls from people who need interpretation in other languages. And so when they call in, we ask for some information just to try to track some things that will be helpful for us in the future to get a sense of why people are calling and where they're calling from, but we don't ask any identifying information. We want to ensure that people feel comfortable to call and receive confidential resources. So when they call, they can get connected to legal providers in their communities, and that's typically the top reason why people are calling. We've also received a number of calls for medical services or other basic needs.
0: That's really interesting. Are you also, do you also receive calls from either organizations like border shelters and or organizations in the interior who want to help? We do, and we offer the
1: hotline. We also offer an email that people can contact us through just to keep the hotline open for asylum seekers as much as possible. But if people do call the hotline, they are welcome to contact us in that way. And we talk with them through what they're able to provide, what they're interested in, how they would like to help, and then see if there are ways that that can be matched
2: with what some of the needs are at the border. And then what kind of organizations are you partnering with through the Asylum Seeker Hotline?
1: We are partnering with a number of congregations both in the interior and along the border who are providing assistance to asylum seekers. There are some groups that want to assist more in financial or in-kind donations. There's other groups that want to welcome asylum seekers in their local communities. So there's various organizations that we're working with. In that way, we also work with a group of shelters along the southwest border that are providing humanitarian care to asylum seekers when they're released from detention. These shelters are so important. They offer a safe and welcoming place for people to go after they've been released from detention and after they've traveled for hundreds of miles. And the people that work and volunteer in these shelters um, are just incredible. They do this work day in and day out. Um, And so our role is really just to try to hear what they've identified as needs for being able to provide these services and then to try to do what we can to support that. So these shelters are located along the border from California all the way down to Texas, and one of the needs that they have identified as as one of the greatest needs is just additional hands, additional human power to be able to do the work that they're doing. So CWS is looking uh, on ways to provide some longer term staff and volunteers who can be present at these shelters on a regular basis and to really help not only with some of these daily operations, but look at longer term capacity. So uh, one of the things that they've also identified is just the need for additional resources, whether it's financial or basic materials food, clothing, backpacks, some of those things. Um, And there are specific things that they've identified that they need on a daily basis. Many of them have wish lists and online registries that people from anywhere in the country can access and can provide assistance in that way. Also, just financial contributions to be able to do the work that they're doing.
0: And is there a place that you'd recommend our listeners go either so they can learn how to help support CWS's efforts and or is there a place on your website where you're kind of uh, referring them to these shelters that you just mentioned the needs that they have?
1: So there is information on the CWS website about ways that you can support the work that we're doing in collaboration with these shelters. And then we also have an email that you can contact us through where we can talk more individually with you and, and kind of just hear how you'd like to support. Maybe there's already sort of a natural connection that a group has with an organization on the border, or maybe there's some sort of unique way that they're able to support. And we would love to talk with you about ways that you can get involved.
2: That's awesome. And is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners?
1: I think one of the things that Is really important to remember in all of this is that the majority of asylum seekers traveling from Central America right now are families, and many of those include young children. And I think remembering that no parent would willingly take their child on a journey that is so dangerous um, if they felt like they had another choice for safety is just something that I think is really important for us to keep at the forefront of everything that we're hearing about. We've been contacted by a number of groups along the border who are working with families who don't have a point of contact to go stay with while they're going through their asylum process. And so one of the needs that we have currently are congregations or groups in the interior who would like to support a family as they're going through this asylum process. And this is providing shelter, basic needs, and also just friendship and walking alongside a family as they go through this really huge transition time. Um, One of the things that we've been able to do through the hotline is connect a few of these families already to a couple of congregations, and it's been really exciting to see just the ways that they've been able to walk together as they go through this process. And we have need for more groups to come alongside families. So that's something that we would love to talk with you more about. And the email that you can contact us to get more information about that is
0: resourcecenter@cwsglobal.org. That's great. And listeners we will put that in the podcast notes and on the blog post so that you can reach out to Bethany directly.
2: Thank you so much for joining us today, Bethany. We really appreciate the conversation.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining us for today's episode.
2: Do you have a question about how to be most helpful in serving refugees, immigrants, and asylum seekers? And are you interested in sharing your work or your congregation's work? Are you eager to make connections with other people who are doing the same kind of work and learn from one another? If so, you should join Partners in Welcome. It's a free online community that offers a chance for engaging conversation, connection with people all over the country who care about these issues and a wealth of resources and learning opportunities. We have so much to gain from sharing information and experiences with one another, so we encourage you to sign up. You can visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash partners in Welcome. Follow
0: EMM on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are EMM Refugees. Join in the work of
2: Welcome by making a donation to Episcopal Migration Ministries. No gift is too small and all are put to use to welcome our newest neighbors. Visit EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org forward slash give or text Hometown to 91999. Our theme song composer is Abraham Mowinda Ekondo. And listeners, if you've been interested in finding out
0: more about Abraham, we have his updated website. It's AbrahamMowinda.BandCamp.com. And we'll put this in the podcast notes as well. So we really encourage you to check him out.
2: Until next time, peace be with you and all those you consider home.